welcome to the Whiskey and Lemon podcast. Today we are going to be talking about human behavior. I wanted to first introduce this topic on a surface level because I find that the differences between sociology and social psychology are not commonly known. While there are some similarities, they are very different in how they are analyzed. Sociology is the study of human behavior and how it affects life, interactions, and social change. It analyzes how our patterns affect the world on an organizational and societal level. Social psychology is a subdivision of psychology. It is the study of human perception in relation to the way the rest of the world influences our behavior and our beliefs. It analyzes how outside patterns affect us, as well as our ideas, perception, mood, and emotions. Sociology is how people socialize with one another, and social psychology is how socialization affects us psychologically. There is one distinct difference between sociology and social psychology that many do not know, and it is that sociology studies the effect of individual behavior on the whole, while social psychology studies the effect of the whole on the individual. So with sociology, we are examining the existence and evolution of equality, equity, societal norms, fundamental versus modern behavior. It is also setting the way in which groups of people that may not even have relation to us are still having an effect on us and how we live life. In sociology, you will see more studies on how certain groups may choose a certain religion or end up in a certain field of work. Sociology is often what we are seeing with the racial and political discussions today. How particular races have experienced life in relation to another, and how certain groups may have developed their political beliefs in comparison to one another. It is the interrelationships of people on a macro level. Several sociological experiments include studies in the U.S. where an individual with a more common English name has more chances to be selected for a job interview than a person with a more culturally specific name. The reasoning could be as complex as the discomfort an employer may have to hire someone with different views, upbringings, and experiences to something as simple as not wanting to hire someone with a name they personally find difficult to pronounce. Sociology can dive into why the little girl in a class is being teased for wearing a head covering, gets stares, or is constantly asked if she's hot, why the little boy in another class gets mocked for an accent and told to go back to where he came from, why the woman with curls experiences her hair being touched or asked if it's real. It can also examine the disparity in emotional expression by a man from one nation versus a man from another. It can cover why an individual from one neighborhood may dress differently than someone from another. You will learn how the education system in one city can deeply impact a student's success or resources, or why a woman may have a harder time getting hired as a mechanic and a man having a harder time getting hired at a daycare center. There are times where these decisions are made by employers based on what statistics they come across or simply because that is the societal norm they want to follow. A popular sociology experiment that you can look into is the note theft and social disorder experiment a 2008 experiment based on Wilson and Kellogg's 1996 broken windows theory. This theory has been contested for many years based on conflicts between several experiments using it, but I will give you a brief explanation of it. The broken windows theory states that visible disarray, civil disorder, and antisocial behavior either creates or further encourages an urban environment that is also more subject to criminal behavior and more disorder. That individuals observing such chaos are more susceptible to commit crimes in these areas versus any other area. Just off that simple explanation, there are already ways in which you may argue that because evaluating the severity of a crime can be subjective unless it is comparing jaywalking to murder. 
You can look at a lower class neighborhood and see that there are 10 instances of theft in a week and two instances of theft in a upper class neighborhood. But then who is to say that those 10 instances of theft are more severe if the total amount of money is $100 versus the two instances that total to $3 million? One could argue that $3 million was not even available in the first neighborhood with the 10 instances. However, if the details of the theft show that $100 was quick cash taken and the two instances was $3 million in furniture and electronics, one could argue that the time and lack of discretion it would take to take these items is more severe. Nevertheless, I digress. Let me give you a quick overview of the note theft and social disorder experiment. A note was left sticking out of a mailbox enough for it to be visible from the street. Researchers did this at a home with a neat front yard and then again with trash on the front yard, both at around the same time of day. It is noted that 13% of people took the envelope in the first scenario and that that percentage doubled to 25% in the second scenario. Suggesting that signs of physical disorder, such as disarray, encourage deviant behavior. I am linking a great read from the Science Mag on this theory in the show notes. There are three social psychology experiments that I find very intriguing, and I'm sure you will have at least heard of one of them. If not, I will be linking those in the show notes as well. The Ash Conformity Experiment. It was conducted by Solomon Ash in the 1950s, and it theorizes that an individual's opinions are influenced by the opinions or behavior of another group. Ash discovered that people were willing to ignore evidence and exhibit the same response as the rest of the group. The line video shows a group of five men being shown a line in comparison to the other lines. They must pick which lines of the group is most similar in length to the standalone line. Most often than not, the test subject goes along with the four confederates or assistants. They knew that the four were incorrect in their answer, but to avoid being alone in their response, they went along with the rest. You will also see another test subject who stands alone and provides the correct answer, but over time to avoid the discomfort of doing so every time, he ends up conforming. Another example of the Ash conformity experiment is the waiting room video. Patients are in a doctor's office and every time a beep goes off, those in the waiting room stand up. The test subject has no idea why they are doing it, but eventually joins them simply because she doesn't want to rebel against the uniformed action, even though she has no idea why it is being done. Based on the ASH conformity experiment, there were a few things that were discovered. Conformity is more prevalent when more people are present. Conformity is more prevalent when the action is more difficult. So in the case of the line experiment, the test subject's chance of going with the majority is higher the more difficult the line tests become. So even though you may be sure of your answer, because it took longer to get to that conclusion and others answer differently, you still doubt yourself. Conformity is more prevalent when other members of the group are of a higher social status, thought to be more powerful, influential, or knowledgeable than what the test subject perceives themselves to be. With that being said, conformity is less prevalent when people have the opportunity to respond or behave in private. For example, in the line experiment, the chances of these subjects second-guessing themselves would be less likely if they were either in the room alone with the test conductor or the test was given in paper format to each person individually. Or it begs the question that if once those in the waiting room left the doctor's office, if the test subject would keep up the act of standing whenever they would hear a beep. The second experiment is Albert Bandura's 1960 Bobel doll experiment. It raised the question, is violence and aggression a learned behavior? Which is also closely associated to that of nature versus nurture. Three of the predictions that Bandura made were, 
boys would behave more aggressively than girls. Children who observed an adult acting aggressively would be likely to act aggressively when the adult was not present. Children would be more likely to imitate adults of the same sex rather than adults of the opposite sex. Each child was tested individually so as to not be influenced by the other children, so this would not be a social conformity experiment. An adult would sit across from the child, and over a 10-minute period, the adult would play with sets of toys. In the non-aggressive condition, the adult played with the toys and ignored the Bobo doll the entire time. In the aggressive condition, the adult would violently attack the Bobo doll with both their fists and weapon-like objects. Then the child would be allowed to play with regular toys in the next room for only two minutes. Then they were let into a room with a Bobo doll and the same weapon-like objects. They were permitted to play in that room for 20 minutes. Here are the results. Bandura predicted that children in the non-aggressive group would behave less aggressively than those in the control group. The results indicated that while children of both genders in the non-aggressive group did tend to exhibit less aggression than the control group, boys who had observed an opposite-sex adult behave non-aggressively toward the Bobo doll were more likely than those in the control group to engage in violence. There were, however, important differences when it came to whether a same-sex or opposite-sex adult was observed. Boys who observed adult males behaving violently were more influenced than those who had observed adult females behaving violently. The researchers also found that in same-sex aggressive groups, boys were more likely to imitate physical acts of violence, while girls were more likely to imitate verbal aggression. In a follow-up study conducted in 1965, Bandura found that while children were more likely to imitate aggressive behavior if the adult was rewarded for his or her actions, they were way less likely to imitate if they saw the adult being punished or reprimanded for their hostile behavior. The last experiment I'm going to cover is one conducted by Philip Zimbardo in the 1970s, which may be the one that is most known by all of you, and that is the Stanford Prison Experiment. This one takes place in the basement of Stanford's psychology department. It is simply a matter of how both groups interact with one another on a long-term basis. Participants are recruited to play either a guard or a prisoner. This experiment was designed to analyze the effect that a prison environment would have on the participants' behavior. It also, of course, takes the assumed roles of said participants into account. This experiment was scheduled for 14 days, but it ended after only six days. The participants became so influenced by their assumed roles that the guards became sadistically obsessed with power and mercilessly violent, while the prisoners became paralyzed with depression and anxiety. There was a movie based on this experiment released in 2015. I highly recommend it for further understanding of the story surrounding it. Earlier in the episode, I mentioned that while there are clear differences between sociology and social psychology, there are also similarities. So let's touch on that. While sociology is more a science of society and social psychology is the science of relationships, they both work hand in hand. They are interdependent. So to properly analyze these subjects, you must utilize key elements from the other. Meaning that in order to study society, you need to also understand the study of people that make up that society. And in order to study relationships, you have to understand the inner workings of how people are connected in society to form relationships. There are small intricacies you can even take from the experiments I covered in each subject and relate it to the other. For example, in the broken windows theory with the note sticking out of the mailbox. The focus of that experiment was to determine whether or not people were more likely to steal the note if the property was well kept or not. 
In that same turn, we can study the individuals that were perhaps more likely to take the note and how that environment perpetuated their behavior on a personal level. We can do this same process by analyzing how the little girl in the class with the head covering may feel unaccepted or resentful of this garment simply because of how others made her feel for having it. How the woman with curls may feel disrespected or violated by someone asking personal questions or invading her personal space. How the little boy in class might feel judged or inferior because of his accent. It can also help us to analyze how someone may be affected by their lack of resources or means have played a role in furthering their education or how one may feel by being discouraged from a job simply because society said they are not right for it based on their gender. To conclude, we can look at the line experiment where the test subjects change their answers based on the group's answers. This could simply skew statistics needed to provide further learning for students in a particular community. The Bobo doll experiment can alter the child's perspective and behavior and therefore skew in the other studies statistics simply because the child's observation and not necessarily what their tendencies would have been prior to the observation. And lastly, the Stanford experiment shows the psychological and physical effects on the guards and prisoners, both on a personal and societal level. These macro shifts also have an impact on how prisons and other organizations are developed and maintained, which in turn then changes how these groups are operated and nurtured. Are we then supporting more hostile prison environments or using deductive practices to assist in the psychological and physical well-being of those in said environments? For example, prison reform, which is the effort to improve conditions inside prisons, the effectiveness of a penal system, as well as exploring alternatives to incarceration and preventing recidivism. Prison reform also addresses the restoration of those whose lives are impacted by crimes. Piper Kirkman, who is the author of the memoir Orange is the New Black, which details her experiences in prison, is quoted saying, no one who worked in corrections appeared to give any thought to the purpose of our being here any more than a warehouse clerk would consider the meaning of a can of tomatoes or try to help those tomatoes understand what the hell they were doing on the shelf. As always, I hope this information was helpful for you. I hope this episode gives you a clear understanding of the similarities and differences between sociology and social psychology. If you are enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review. 